It's Twitter Tuesday on today's Locked on Giants podcast, and we've got a lot of questions to cover. They're coming up next. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On podcast family, your team every day. And my name is Patricia Chena. Happy to have you with us. And this episode of the Locked On Giants podcast is brought to you in part by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place for friends and family and the community to come together. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. And I'm also loving the fact that you guys make the Lachlan Giants podcast your first listen of the day. Thank you so much for doing that, Giant fans. Really appreciate it. We have a Twitter Tuesday today, and we got a lot of your questions. Uh, Basically, we're looking at another therapy session, given the way the Giants season has unfolded. So I am going to do my absolute best to try to answer some of these questions and give you some insight into um, some of the things I can that I happen to know. And those that I don't know, I'll let you know if I don't know them. So um, that said, let's get right into your questions again. We've got a big list of questions. So let's jump right in. And up first, we have a question from Ricky S. Cron, who wants to know, what explains the Giants' futility at home in recent seasons. Ricky, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I I can't wrap my head around this. I mean, there's no travel involved. I can tell you for a fact having traveled for a number of years with the, you know, to cover the games that traveling can t- can knock the heck out of you. So there's no travel involved. Um I believe the players and the coaches stay at a hotel the night before, but that shouldn't be that big of a deal. I mean, it's, you know, they're still in their backyard, but I, th- I I don't know if Joe Judge still does. I think he does, but um, but yeah, I I don't know. Maybe maybe it's performing in front of your home crowd. I mean, I know thinking to, thinking back to when I was a kid and I used to have to perform in front of familiar faces, I would get extra nervous and be too uptight, and maybe you know because I was so uptight, I made mistakes. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, maybe it's the lack of bonding. I mean, it could be any number of things, Ricky. I, I'm not really sure if there's one thing here or if I'm even putting my my finger on, on what it is. But uh, I have wondered that myself because the Giants just haven't been very good at home for the last three seasons. So hopefully that changes. I mean, they're playing in front of their fans. These are people who support them. So you would think it would be better. But anyway. All right. Up next, Jeff. Jeffro 671. And he wants to know how does a team with no decent backup players, how does a team have no decent backup players when they are so close to the cap? Um, Jeffro, I think you're mixing two things together here. Number one, um, you can't spend a ton of money on backup players. It's just not smart from a cap perspective. But let me back up a little bit here because when you're talking about players, you know, I've always said this about the term starter in the NFL, that it means nothing. And by that, I mean, you get, yes, you have somebody who starts the game, 
But depending on what the opponent does or what the game plan is, you might not see that guy play very often. So for example, if you look on the, at the snap counts on defense, guys like Leonard Williams who are paid like starters aren't playing 100% of the snaps like James Bradbury or Tay Crowder or Xavier McKinney or Logan Ryan. All right. So that kind of factors into it. I, I don't know necessarily if the cap is, is a, you know, being close to the cap has anything to, to do with anything. Um, but I will say this in terms of backup debt, that's for the coaches to develop. I mean, the personnel department obviously has to get a group in of players who have some talent that fit what the coaches want to do. And then it's up to the coaches to refine that talent and get those guys up to speed. So you can point and say, well, maybe that's the problem. I don't know. You can point and maybe look at the uh, the quality of the players the personnel department is bringing in. I mean, I think it's a combination of everything, to be honest with you. And then, of course, the third factor that I think a lot of people don't take into consideration is, are the players working for it? So that could be part of the issue as well. Um, hope that answers your question. Kind of hard to give you one reason why. All right. Up next, we have a question from Darealness17 uh, on Twitter, who asked, do you think John Mara is going to actually follow up and start firing people if this season is headed where we think it is? Um, what I think is going to happen is if the season goes down the, the tubes, I think Joe Judge will be safe. I really do. I think the assistant coaches, that's Judge's call. So Jason Garrett, you know, all those guys, that's up to Judge to decide whether or not he wants to keep them or get rid of them. Dave Gettleman, that is an ownership call. And just a guess here, but I think if things go, go south, you might see word that Dave Gettleman and the Giants maybe agree to mutually part ways that with Gettleman heading to retirement. That's what I think will happen. I don't think it'll be a flat out firing like it was with Jerry Reese and, and Ben McAdoo. It'll be a parting of the ways. And that's because, you know, the Mara family and the Tisch family, um, you know, they have a history with Dave Gettleman. Dave Gettleman has been an employee for theirs for a long time. And I just don't see them, you know, flat out coming out and saying, you're fired, get out. So that's that's how I see that playing out. All right. Next question comes from Ray Rod, who wants to know, are the Giants cursed? Gosh, it sure feels like it, doesn't it, Ray Rod? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big believer in curses. I think you make your own luck to a certain degree. Um, and I, I just, this Giants team, I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if maybe they, the current coaching staff tries to maybe outthink themselves and maybe they end up outsmarting themselves. And I wonder if maybe sometimes the players are just, you know, not keeping up with what's being taught. I mean, again, there's any number of reasons. I think everybody is just so different. You know, you talk about injuries, and I know this is a hot topic, and I think this was asked um, actually coming up. There's a question coming up on this, but injuries, I think, are, are a certain mix of the game being violent in itself. For example, breaking your arm or your leg, like, you know. Shane, uh, like Nick Gates did, he broke his leg. CJ Board broke his arm. That's just a violent game. Um, the hamstrings and soft tissue injuries, that I suspect has to do with the training being done behind the scenes. And by that, I mean, I have had people tell me 
that if you overtrain your soft tissues and your ligaments, that it's like a rubber band. Okay. So picture a rubber band and you keep stretching it, stretching it, stretching it, stretching it. Ultimately, you're going to weaken it if you keep stretching it and it's going to snap or it's going to tear, especially if the rubber band is becomes uh, dried out. It becomes more susceptible to a tear. That's what I think might be at play here, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not a trainer. I know what, you know, years ago when I worked with a personal trainer, um, one thing he always told me was after I did a workout, a cardio, you know, a heavy cardio workout with weights and, and cardiovascular activity, always let your heart rate come down to normal before you engage in stretch or before you just kind of quit it because, you know, you're stretching and you're, you're, you know, you're getting blood to flow in the area, um, into your muscles and, and your, you know, different parts of your body, but you also got to let your heart rate come down and naturally pump it. You can't have too much blood going to an area, for example. It's, it's, there's some kind of science to it. I'm not really sure what it is because like I said, I'm not a trainer or a doctor, but um, maybe, I don't know if anybody's a trainer or a doctor out there and you want to weigh in on the comment section, maybe you can explain um, a little bit more than that. But that's what I was told when I was working with a trainer. So, all right. Up next, we have a question from uh, Satoshi Wakamoto wants to know factor fiction elite pass rushers are more rare in the draft than elite quarterbacks. Seems to me that there are zero to one elite pass rushers each year, but there are multiple elite quarterbacks. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if, you know, there are some years I know that, that the pass rusher class is decent. And then there are some years then that it's dry. I think a problem though, with elite pass rushers is you can find a lot of guys who can rush the passer, but they can't play the run as good. And when you can find somebody who can rush the passer and play the run, that's a guy you, you know, do not even question it, grab them and don't look back because those guys I think are rare with quarterbacks. I would say that you'll probably find decent quarterbacks more often in the first round, but you know, as we have seen Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, you can find quarterbacks outside of the first round. So might be a little trickier, I think, uh, with pass rushers because the lower you go, obviously, you know, the more they have to to, to uh, show if once they get here. But quarterbacks, I would say, yeah, maybe maybe quarterbacks are a little easier to find. But that doesn't mean you can't make mistakes when you, you know, you pick one and that you think is going to be, you know, a, a a franchise quarterback and he turns out to be a bust. So, hope that answers your question. Thank you so much for writing in. And we've got more of your questions here on Twitter Tuesday coming up. All right, Giant fans, we have much more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, let me remind you that this episode is brought to you in part by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been there and has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing that they'll have dependable Wi-Fi, an endless surprise of French fries and make flurries. Win or lose, it's also a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come together to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping to on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. And it's also a place where as a young girl, I learned about 
the concept of teamwork. I can remember going in as a Girl Scout and getting a behind the scenes tour about how McDonald's put together their various food items and enjoying a tasty treat with my Girl Scout troop back then. That was a memorable experience and I never forgot that. And I was very grateful to have that opportunity. And every Saturday, you can find me at McDonald's picking up an Egg McMuffin breakfast sandwich and a hot beverage for my breakfast on that Saturday morning. So head to your local McDonald's today to refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say Locked On Giants watch party? I'm loving it. All right, Giant fans, you've got a Twitter Tuesday here on the Locked On Giants podcast. Patricia Trainer here with you. And let's continue. We've got a bunch of questions we've got to get through. So let's pick it up with Empire PR man, my man Ruben, wants to know what is the starting O-line for the next game? Ruben, I don't know. But here's what I will do. Um, first off, let me just say, I'm recording this on a Monday night. So I have not been to the facility. We don't know what the injury report looks like. Um, I have a very bad feeling in my gut, and I hope I am wrong with this, but I have a feeling that Andrew Thomas could be looking at missing some time. I would not be surprised if Andrew Thomas lands on IR. Because remember, it's a three-week stay on IR. So I would not be surprised at that. I hope I'm wrong, but that's how I feel right now as of Monday. That said, getting to your question, if you follow up with me on Twitter at, on uh, Wednesday afternoon after I've gotten back from practice and I've had a chance to A, see what the injury report looks like and B, kind of see how things are going in practice, I might be able to give you a little bit more of a clue. But right now, I don't think the Giants even know what their starting offensive line is going to look like. So uh, we'll have to get back to you on that one. Sorry. I wish I had an answer for you, but I, I have to get back to you on that. All right. Up next, we have a question from Mike Veneziano. Do players on expiring contracts, specifically Peppers and Ingram, have more trade value or more comp pick value? Who realistically has actual trade value? And when considering performance and contract, I think maybe Shepard and Lawrence. Okay. So a couple questions there. Let me take them one at a time. Um, players whose contracts are expiring don't necessarily bring, have more value. And the reason for that is, you know, let's think back to the Leonard Williams trade for a moment when everybody was screaming about why didn't the Giants wait until he became a free agent? They probably could have gotten him cheaper. Um, so ideally, when you trade for a player, you want to have him under contract for at least two more years or two years this year and next year in this case. That is not the case with the Giants. Now, that's not to say that you know, an acquiring team can't sit down with, with Evan Ingram or, or Jabril Peppers and say, hey, we're going to give you a contract extension. But I don't think they will, you know, until they get the guy in the building and see how he fits into with the culture and how he fits in with what the coaches want to do and all that, that good stuff. So the bottom line is you're never going to get back what you spend on a player. It's kind of like, you know, I hate to use this comparison, but it's like a car. The second you drive a new car off the lot, it depreciates in value. Well, with a player, you know, Evan and, and Jabril are both for, uh, first round draft picks. The Giants aren't getting first round picks for those guys in return. Will they get maybe a third rounder? I'd be surprised if they would get that much. Would they get a maybe a fourth or fifth rounder? That I could maybe see. More realistically, a sixth or seventh rounder. You know, at this point, you know, get what you can. You know, beggars can't be choosy. If you're that desperate to unload those contracts, you take what you can. Um, as far as 
comp pick value, again, that depends on what kind of contracts they were to sign with a new team. But keep this in mind with comp picks. All right. So let's say Evan Ingram signs a blockbuster deal as a free agent with a team, and it brings the Giants back a third round pick. The Giants will be able to use that third round pick, I don't think, until the following year. All right. Because I think there's there's factors to go into that. Um, so I I don't think it's, you know, to their advantage, if, especially if they're looking to rebuild now. I would say, you know, if you're going to trade those guys, do it because you can get some cap money back. Because right now this team, their cap situation is really, really scary the way it stands right now. Um, I would not trade Dexter Lawrence, by the way. Um, a young player, very valuable player. I would not move him. I don't know that anybody would trade for Sterling Shepard giving his contract, nor would I trade him, to be honest with you. Um, Shepard, I, f- I fear, may end up being a salary cap cut next year, but I would not trade for trade him. A guy that I saw mentioned on ESPN as a possible trade candidate would be James Bradbury, because I think next year Bradbury has a $13 million cap hit. And financially, that would make sense. But you know what? If you start trading guys off, you better have a plan to replace these guys. Otherwise, you are looking at a one to two year rebuild, start from scratch all over again. And how many more times can this team start over? I mean, realistically, at some point, they got to push this thing forward. So, all right. Up next, we have a question from Hebrews VT. Keith, I think that's Hebrews VT. Yep. Okay. So how do... Gettleman's draft picks compare to other GMs. Um, and then it says, and then he has another question. I know the way losses have piled up is awful, but trying to take the emotion out of it, where did you expect this team to be at this point in the season? And are we really looking at another, you said rest. I'm not sure what you meant there. So let me answer your first two questions there. I have not compared the Giants drafts to the other at, teams in the NFL. That's an exercise for the offseason. It's not something I could do right now because, you know, I've got to keep up with the daily happenings with this team. Um, I can tell you that every team doesn't hit every single draft. The problem, I think, with the Giants, though, you know, in addition to the draft picks is that they've had multiple resets, all right? So they went from Tom Coughlin to Ben McAdoo. Then Ben McAdoo, after a year and and, and a half or or almost two years, to Pat Shermer. Then two years later, from Pat Shermer to Joe Judge, right? Meanwhile, the 2018 draft class was drafted with the idea of maybe making one more playoff run, giving Eli Manning one more chance, all right? So now some of those picks, you know, the Saquon Barkley pick, for example, great player, but you sit there and you say, why didn't they go offensive line? So you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And, um, you know, again, comparing Gettleman to his drafts to, to other teams, I, I know we, um, when I say we, part of the, uh, we do something for Lindy's. I write for Lindy's sports uh, publications. And every year we have to kind of give like a, a rundown, a five-year look at the drafts and how the picks are stacking up, you know, how many starters, how many backups, how many um, guys are out of the league, how many guys are on other teams. So I'll keep an eye out for that. I'm not sure when that report comes out, but we usually do that 
around January, February. So that might be something to look for. And I'll, I'll certainly keep an eye out for that. And if I have data, certainly I'll, I'll see if I can write an article or talk about that on a future pod. All right. Um, you also asked me where, you know, taking the emotion out of it, where did I expect this team to be at this point in the season? All right. That's an easy one. I expected the Giants to win their first three games of the season. I feel they threw those three games away because they weren't ready to start the season. All right. Did I think they would beat Dallas? Truth be told, uh, um, I thought they could be competitive against Dallas. I didn't think they could beat New Orleans, which they did. I thought they could be competitive against Dallas. Um, And for them to beat the Rams, I thought they could be competitive against the Rams. I mean, they almost beat the Rams last year. So, I thought the Giants would have at this point maybe four wins instead of one win. And I go back to those first three games, which were treated like throwaway games. The team wasn't ready. You don't do a dress rehearsal the way that Joe Judge did, where you have your guys, only your starters and your key players only participate in the final preseason game. That should have been built up as they went along. And I will bet you anything that come next year, Joe Judge will not make that same mistake again. I don't see that happening. So, um, yeah, taking the emotion out of it, I think they would have had, they should have had four wins by now, but it is what it is. All right. Next question uh, comes from George Grassi, G. Grassi Law. Sadly, looking to next year, what are the Giants' options with Saquon Barkley, assuming he's healthy? both before trade deadline and in off-season. And then number two, Ingram Peppers, Slayton as in-season trade possibilities agree and any others. Okay, let me talk about uh, Saquon Barkley first, George. Um, I think come next, first of all, the Giants have picked up Saquon Barkley's option here next year. And I think they will carry through with that. Because, you know, with, with ACLs, it can take up to two years for, for a guy to really look like himself. Now, what's going to complicate things, obviously, is Barkley's hurt again. Um, it is a low ankle sprain, but look, every time that guy has a lower body sprain or a lower body injury, I should say, that is a concern as to how much is that is going to take its toll on him eventually. But I do think Barkley will be here next year. You need a running game. And right now he is their running game, you know, outside of Daniel Jones, who, by the way, I still don't like the fact that Daniel Jones is the leading rusher on this team. I don't want to see the quarterback rushing all the time. Once in a while, yes, on a on an RPO or something like that, but there's no reason why that quarterback should be leading this team in rushing yards. All right. Now you also asked about the trade, uh, the trade possibilities. Ingram Peppers and Slayton. I think Ingram and Peppers possibly. I could see that happening. I don't know about Slayton. I, I mean, Slayton's had injury issues too. See, that that's the other problem, George, is the trade deadline's coming up. I think it's like seven or eight days away now. And um, if these guys are hurt, they're not going anywhere. Who's going to want to trade for them? I, I'd be surprised if they move. The Giants should be sellers. If they lose to the Panthers this weekend, I would say yes, be sellers. I mean, Shoot, I would say start trading now. But, you know, Joe Judge might feel otherwise. He might say, look, you know, I feel I can get this fixed. I want my guys. Don't trade anybody just yet. 
So I'm sure that factors into the equation. Okay, next question comes from Ken Downey Jr. who wants to know, why do people still have jobs? Well, they got to work, right? Uh, seriously, though, Ken, I mean, at this point, who are they going to replace? You know, let's say for argument's sake, they show Dave Gettleman the door. Who are they going to get to replace them right now? Who's out there that you like, that you think would, would be the answer? I know some of you will probably say Lewis Riddick. Okay, but that, you know, is that settling? You know, maybe the Giants, you know, if, if they um, do move on from Dave Gettleman, maybe Joe Judge is going to have somebody that he worked with in, in another lifetime that might get the job. All right. Or maybe there's some up and coming personnel guy on another team right now that is off limits that might be considered. So you're not going to make any decisions right now. All right. I mean, if you if Gettleman walked out the door, chances are Kevin Abrams would be the interim general manager, similar to what happened when when uh, Jerry Reese was fired. All right. At this point, you might as well just let Gettleman finish out most, you know, at most of the season, if not the rest of the season. If that's the case, see if they can turn it around. All right. Um, same situation with the head coach. If you got rid of Joe Judge, who are you going to get as your head coach right now? So pretty obvious, I think, why people still have jobs. So, but thanks for the question. I get your frustration, by the way. So, all right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But first, I want to talk to you about vacations. You know, in life, we're all bound for different things. And with beachbound.com vacations, you could be bound for an adventure, bound for passion, bound for discovery, or bound for togetherness, bound for immersion, for rejuvenation, or you might be bound for encountering the unexpected. Personally, when I'm at a beach resort, I'm bound to unplug from the world. No phones, no Twitter, no computers, no nothing. And all I do is I sit on a beach chair, lounging around, cool drink in my hand, watching the ocean, listening to the sights and sounds of the ocean and the beach, and just enjoying myself as I feel the tension melting away. So with beachbound.com, you can find the perfect beach vacation for yourself, no matter what you're looking for. What are you bound for? Well, visit beachbound.com today to find out. All right, Giant fans, still more to come on today's show. But first, no matter what you need for your car truck, Rock Auto is sure to have it in its extensive online catalog. Rockauto.com offers brand name parts for every make, model, and manufacturer at highly competitive prices, and they ship right to your door. Visit rockauto.com and be sure to write down locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you. That's rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. Rockauto.com. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Twitter Tuesday. I am Patricia Tran. And again, thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for watching. Appreciate you. Appreciate all of you who have subscribed on YouTube. By the way, I'm now over 700 subscribers, getting oh so close. I need 300 more. So fingers crossed, guys. I can't wait to hit 1,000. And I couldn't have made it this far without you. So appreciate you and I appreciate all the comments as well as the questions that you have submitted. And I hope you're finding this to be somewhat therapeutic. All right, let's get back to your questions. Uh, let's go uh, to one from Bostromovic, who has a couple questions. Is there any knowledge if Mara is even aware of how miserable the fan base is? 
And then question number two, the talk of the 70s where Roselle made some move in the Wellington Mara era. What was that? And did the commission really intercede in the team operations? Okay, let me answer point one. Yes, John Mara is very much aware of how miserable the fan base is. That I can tell you for a fact. How do I know that? Because a couple of years ago, when I was writing my book, The Big 50, Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants, I asked John Mara about that. And trust me, that man bleeds when that team loses, all right? He is beside himself. You know, I happened to see him last week when I was leaving the facility after practice, and he was coming back from a walk, and he was so wrapped up in his thoughts and just had a had a puss on his face, like, you know, somebody had just, you know, taken his dog or something. He's upset. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to make excuses or anything like that, but John Mara is not sitting in his office and, you know, with his feet up on a desk and going, ha ha ha, suffer you, you suckers. You know, he's, he's not doing that. He is suffering. And I can remember back in the day when his father was alive, Wellington Mara, how many times John would get upset over something that would happen in a game and Wellington, who was always very calm, would have to calm him down. He would, you know, kind of pat him on the arm. and John, you know, calm down. It's going to be okay. Calm down. So yes, John is aware that people are upset and I'm sure he's gotten a lot of letters to that, that degree um, to where there is no doubt. Now you asked about the 1970s move. I'm assuming, you know, you weren't alive back then. I, I was, I was young when it happened, but I remember it and I researched it for my book. So what happened was um, Wellington Mara at the time, Wellington Mara and his nephew, Tim, were co-owners of the Giants and they did not see eye to eye on anything, right? It got so bad that at one point, the two men wouldn't even talk to one another. They wouldn't even be in the same building as one another. It was that bad. So what happened was after the fumble, the you know Tim Mara had had enough, and um, he felt that the the structure of the Giants organization had to change because up until that point, Wellington Mara had full control, final control over all football decisions, and Tim Mara felt that that should change. Well, sure enough, the two men couldn't agree. Finally, they decided, okay, you know what? We'll hire somebody to come in. All right, but the problem was Tim Mara wanted. His guy, Wellington Mara wanted his guy. So enter Pete Rosell, who was the commissioner at the time. And Pete Rosell recommended George Young, who I believe at the time was with the Miami Dolphins. I think he was with Howard Schnellenberger, who I think was the head coach at the time. And he recommended George Young. And both Maras liked George Young. But George Young came with a condition. And that condition was, I get full control over all football matters. So that meant Wellington Mara had to relinquish control to George Young. Well, he did. George Young became the first official general manager in team history. Now, prior to that, Andy Robustelli had been the director of operations, but he didn't have final say on football matters. Again, Wellington Mara did. So George Young became the, uh, the first full-time general manager. He was fairly successful, built up that team, you know, to, to be a powerhouse in the 80s. And then, you know, when free agency and the salary cap hit, things kind of took a turn for the worse. But, you know, George Young, you look at what he accomplished during his career, 
that man should have been in the Hall of Fame a lot sooner than this year. He was just, you know, that groundbreaking. So that's the story behind that. Thanks for that question, by the way. It was good taking a walk down memory lane. Okay, up next, we have a question from Wall Main, who wants to know, how can we turn this around? Are players getting frustrated with uh, potential coaching changes again? I'm not a fan of uh, I'm not a fan of the undercover Cowboys. Just but will it change? Actually, uh, oh, Jason Garrett. Okay, I see what you're saying there. But will it change? Actually, bring results. Um, are the players getting frustrated? I would think so. I mean, if you keep going through the preparation and the sacrifice, and you know you're getting beat up on Sundays and you have nothing to show for it, I could see where that would bring some frustration. Um, Potential coaching changes, I, again, I don't know if that's going to happen. That's that's Joe Judge's call. And as of Monday, when we spoke with him, he basically said um, that he's going to stick with what he has for now. All right. For now, at this time, there's those key words. So we'll have to see. Um, would a change bring result? I mean, again, who are you going to change and what are you going to change at this point, to be honest with you? You're not going to swap out the roster. The roster is what it is. The coaching staff, what are you going to do? You're not going to bring in, you know, a new guy per se. Maybe maybe you bring in a consultant. I don't know. But uh, is that going to change? I mean, you, you'd be talking about having to change the, the, the whole system all over again. And I just don't think they do that. So, you know, as Joe Judge says, and I, I know I don't like to hear it. I'm sure you don't like to hear it. They have a process and. They're going to stick with it and they're going to see if they can work through it. And, you know, I know the old saying is insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But right now, I think that's all they can do at this point until, you know, and see if they can turn things around. All right. A couple more questions on this Twitter Tuesday. We have one from Davy Boy who asks, um, my question is, if the Giants fired Dave Gettleman, do you believe Joe Judge would take over as the GM? No, no. Giants have never had a head coach and a GM. They keep those duties separate. All right. The GM, believe it or not, actually goes and, and hits the road and does scouting on a, on a Friday and a Saturday. All right. Joe Judge wouldn't be able to do that in that role and coach the team. So, no, that's not happening. Our final question comes from Pete M, who says, um, I know David said on Monday's podcast that all teams are dealing with injuries, but are there any stats that show just how bad the Giants injury situation is relative to other teams out there? Yes, David, there's a site called Man Games Lost that tracks that data. Um, I have used that set, uh, that site before. Um, I don't recall if it's updated this year. Um, but it was updated as of 2020. Um, I do know also that the Baltimore Ravens, I think, have, I want to say either 16 or 17 guys on IR. They lead the league and they're five and one. So injuries can't be a total excuse. You, you know, maybe back in the day they were, but at this point, it's about developing the guys behind them. And if you have a drop off, Part of that's got to be on coaching. Part of that's got to be on the personnel people for not having the talent, you know, the deep talent to replace these guys. All right. And then you go on to say, um, I know some injuries are the result of bad luck. 
or other injuries such as hamstrings preventable? And is that a reflection of the strength and conditioning program? Hamstring injuries, I think, can be preventable. You know, I talked about that earlier on the show, that if you overtrain, that you can actually weaken some of your ligaments, especially if you're not getting the proper rest and recovery. I don't know enough about the Giants strength and conditioning program these days to say for sure that that's what the problem is. Certainly, the evidence would point to that being a problem, but I'm not going to sit here and say that that is definitely the problem. It could be circumstantial evidence. It could just be bad luck. It could be any number of things. But yes, the soft tissue injuries this year that are rocking up, you wonder, you know, and and, uh, here's the other thing, you know, we in the media don't get to see the entire practice. So we see maybe like the first 20 minutes, which is the warm-up period and the individuals. Then we are escorted out of the the, uh, practice area. When we come back, the team has wrapped up. So any post-practice conditioning or anything like that, we don't see what they're doing. Whereas, you know, with with um, when Tom Coughlin was here, for example, we would see towards the end, we would come back when they were just wrapping up and we would see them with the bands. Remember bands, you know? Um, so we would see that. So I don't have enough visual evidence or supporting evidence to say that, you know, the strength and conditioning program is the problem. But, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence for sure. So um, who knows? Maybe there is something there. I'm, I don't know. But uh, these injuries do hurt and they they are not fun. So, all right, Giant fans, that will do it for this edition of the Locked on Giants podcast. Appreciate you as always for tuning in. And again, thank you so much for making the Locked on Giants podcast your first listen of the day. Check us out tomorrow. We'll have a whole new show. Uh, Thursday, we will have the crossover show with Julian Council of Locked on Panthers. Friday, we will have a another program. And by the way, I do have another interview that I have uh, that I did over the weekend. So I'm not sure if I'm going to run it Friday or if I'm going to do a bonus interview or a bonus show rather on Saturday, but um, I'll figure that out, figure out where I'm going to put that in. I'll make sure you guys get that. So thank you for tuning in. Talk to you tomorrow.